we will return to finish our series in Mark's Gospel at around Easter because we are now on uh, the chapter describing the crucifixion. So we'll go through that and the resurrection at the same time as Easter. So don't worry about that. This morning, we're going to begin a new series and we'll return to this series as well after we have finished Mark. And it's Jeremiah, and we're not going to go through the whole book, but we're going to concentrate on some of the greatest passages in this awesome book. And those passages uh, should give us uh, a wonderful presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. That was his nickname. And he was the son of a priest, as we heard in our reading, Hilkiah. And they lived in Anathoth, which was just a few miles outside of Jerusalem. And from their home, they could see the walls of Jerusalem. That's significant. He lived a bit like us. And this is one reason why we're looking at it. In times of upheaval, troubled times, all that was left of the nation of Israel was Judah, the largest of the tribes, and Benjamin, the smallest. It was just a rump. And three great superpowers were surrounding Israel, little Israel, and you had the Assyrians to the north, the Egyptians to the south, and then the Babylonians to the east. This is when Jeremiah lived. And during his time, he prophesied for 40 years, a long time. And during that time, there were five kings in Judah, and only the first one, Josiah, was a good king. Only he supported Jeremiah. So poor Jeremiah, having to minister during such a time of crisis, uh, when there was upheaval, the surrounding nations were in turmoil, and his own people as well. Even though they were outwardly religious and respectable, there, there was a spiritual cancer eating away at them. And this gave Jeremiah a mental conflict, and it broke him, it broke him. Hence the term weeping prophets. And he had one message, which we'll see throughout the book. He's urging the people to repent. That means to turn back to God. And he's preaching this message with tears in his eyes. And the people didn't listen to him. Because eventually God judges them. And the Babylonians, the superpower from the east, come. And they lay siege to Jerusalem. The temple is razed to the ground. The city is destroyed. And most of the people are carried away into captivity. And Jeremiah is taken captive. And he dies in Egypt. How sad. How real. 
And yet, here is God working. Uh, In the New King James Bible, if you've got that version, the introduction to the book of Jeremiah describes this prophet in the following way. I like this description. A heartbroken prophet with a heartbreaking message, Jeremiah bathes his harsh prophecies in tears of compassion. His broken heart causes him to write a broken message. And yet, this is why we're looking at it. In the midst of all this pain and brokenness, you get some of the most beautiful descriptions of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, a diamond is the most beautiful of jewels, isn't it? A diamond is formed in intense heat, in the pressure and the heat. This beautiful jewel comes out. And so, God willing, I would like us to consider some beautiful jewels in Jeremiah. And as I said, it's relevant to us because we are living in times of great change. We don't know what's going to happen to our world even before COVID. But in this year of plague, it makes it far, far more important to ask the big questions. And if you look at the state of the churches, they have lost their way. And the message of Jeremiah is one that we desperately need and society needs to hear as well. You see, just as God's judgment was going to come upon Jerusalem, one day Cardiff is going to be judged. Or wherever you're listening this morning, John Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress had the character who becomes a Christian living in the city of destruction. Wherever we are in the world, we're living in the city of destruction. It may not come upon us now, but this is the warning of the Bible. Man, woman, humankind is appointed once to die, and there's no escape from that. There is no vaccination against death. Once to die, and after that, the judgments. That's why the message of Jeremiah is vital to you and me. And also, God judges nations. He judges his people. And I don't want to go through this book with a glib, overly confident attitude. Francis Schaeffer said, no one should be allowed to preach on God's judgments unless he can do so with tears in his eyes. May I be like Jeremiah, concerned about us. And may you feel that your greatest need 
is to be right with God. Now then, let, let me bring one truth out this morning from this grand first chapter of Jeremiah. Uh, what we have in this chapter is God calling this young man to be a prophet. But Jeremiah has two calls, right? He's called to be a prophet, but he's also, before that, called to be a child of God. So this is the call I'm interested in this morning. A preacher has two calls, the call to preach and the call to be a Christian. But I'm not interested in the call to preach this morning. I'm only interested in what affects all of us here, this call to be a child of God. I think it is right for me to say I wouldn't have made it so far as a Christian unless God had called me. Jeremiah would not have made it through uh, these 40 years of turmoil unless God had called him. And my friend, the only, the only way you are going to make it is through a call of God. So I've got three things to say about this call. The first is it's a divine call. When God calls a person, it is of him. We sometimes think, don't we, of Christianity as something that can help us with our problems. Is, is that your view of the gospel? Now, we've all got our different issues, and we just long to be rid of them. And we think Jesus Christ can help me. And so we start with our problems. We bring Jesus Christ in to try and deal with them. And then we leave with our problems. Jesus Christ is just something that is brought in to help us. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, according to Jeremiah, isn't like that. The gospel is much bigger than you or I. Jeremiah begins with God, the big picture. And the gospel starts with God. And then it comes to where we are at and our little problems. And God happens to deal with those. But because it started with God, it ends with God. And this is what we see here in terms of Jeremiah. It's a divine call he has. If you've got a Bible, look at verse 5. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. When does the call of God begin? Is it when we first heard the gospel? Maybe you're hearing it for the first time this morning. Well, there's an aspect of God calling there. But no, this divine call didn't start there. Where does life begin? Does it begin when we're born? Oh, no. Does it begin in the womb? Yes, but in another sense, no, before then. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. It's not even our parents. And 
the point of conception. That's the beginning of life. Yes, a fetus is a real person. Very relevant for the people in Jeremiah's day because they were killing babies. And just as relevant to us. But life didn't even begin at conception. Before that, God says to Jeremiah, I knew you. Life begins. And the call begins. Before we were made. Do you know, there's an intimate term here that God uses. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That's not just an intellectual knowledge that Jeremiah was going to be conceived and was eventually going to be born and was eventually going to be called by God. It's a, a very personal knowledge. It's the same word that is used of the bond between husband and wife. That's the strongest bond in human terms. And so, this divine call goes right back before time. We call that eternity. And God knew, not just Jeremiah, but you and I then. And if you're a Christian, he set his love upon you then. So why are you a believer this morning? Yes, you believed in Jesus Christ at a certain point in life. But that's not why you're a Christian. Why did you believe? You believed because God first called you. And that call didn't just come when you first heard about Jesus Christ. It came back in eternity. And to state the obvious, what makes a person a Christian? It's not being a member of a church. That is only the after effect of becoming a Christian. It's not being brought up in a Christian family, even though that's a great privilege. It's not reading your Bible or saying your prayers. That's something that a Christian does because there is the life of God in them. The only reason why Jeremiah was a child of God, why anybody becomes a child of God, is the call, the divine call. Have you been called? Do you think I'm going too far? Let me quote Jesus Christ. This is what he said to his disciples in one of his greatest sermons. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. We started this service off with those words in Ephesians. He, God the Father, Ephesians 1 verse 4, chose us in Christ when, before the foundation of the world, the same eternity, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That means we've been set apart. He predestinated us to adoption 
ascends by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, the praise of the glory of his grace. My friend, it's nothing less than a divine call. Christianity is not of man. It is of God. The only reason why Jeremiah became the man he became is because God was in it. And the only reason you are a Christian is because God is in it. And the only reason you can become a Christian if you're not one is because God is going to do it. So in these tumultuous times, when everything is being shaken, and our little life is a boat, and we're in the middle of the sea of this world, and the waves are going up and down, and there's a storm, and we may fear that we're going to drown, What's going to stabilize you? There's an anchor. But it's not in the boat. There's no point looking to ourselves, looking to our experience in order to have stability. You don't keep the anchor in the boat. Where do you throw the anchor? You don't just throw the anchor into the ocean. We don't depend on the circumstances of life. Otherwise, it's all over. The anchor rests upon the bedrock. And my friend, that is this divine call. The anchor of our souls is not in our heart. It's not in the world. It's in eternity, in the bedrock of God's calling. Praise be to his name. So a divine call. Are you called? Secondly, this is a gracious call. Now, sometimes when people talk about God having known them from eternity, they become all proud. I've said this before. I remember meeting a person, trying to witness to him, and this person said they were a Christian, but they were no longer a Christian, but it was all right because God had chosen them so they could do what they wanted. That person wasn't called of God. Because when a person is truly called of God, the reaction is the same as that of Jeremiah. Look at verse 6. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, I cannot speak. I know some of you are struggling with whether you have been called. What's the best proof of a divine call? It's the fact that it humbles us. You know, there's an echo here of Isaiah when God called him. What did Isaiah say in chapter 6 in the temple? Woe is me. Woe is me. There's an echo here of Simon Peter. And Simon Peter was a very confident person by temperament. When Jesus Christ first called him. Not the God of the Old Testament now, but Jesus Christ. What was Simon Peter's reaction? A bit like Isaiah and Jeremiah. Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. So if this truth of God's call makes you worried am i called 
How can God call me? Am I the right kind of person to be a Christian? I can understand so-and-so being Christians because they're the religious sort. But me, I'm just, I'm just a fraud. I'm just too bad. Listen, my friend, that's how Jeremiah felt before this holy God. Have you um, read or have you seen The Lord of the Rings? I, I found these words helpful as a preacher, but I think you can apply them as a Christian. Uh, they're similar to what Jeremiah is saying. Jeremiah is saying, Lord, you've got it wrong. You've chosen the wrong person. I can't be a prophet. I, I can't be your child, Lord. I, I'm just full of sin. In the Lord of the Rings, you've got somebody, a hobbit. Do you know what a hobbit is? Hobbits were the most inconsequential of creatures in Middle-earth. They were not the great and the mighty. They were just ordinary, very short uh, people. <laughs> and uh, one of them, called Frodo Baggins, is given the most awesome task in the whole of Middle-earth. He's got to be the ring-bearer, this ring of power. He's got to carry it. And this is what Frodo said. I'm not made for perilous quests. I wish I had never seen the ring. Why did it come to me? Why was I chosen? Are you like that when it comes to this awesome gospel? The call of God. Why me? What's the answer? God didn't argue with Jeremiah. All God said was, Jeremiah, my grace is sufficient. Jeremiah, just as this call is all of me, so is this call all of grace. Do you know what grace means? Grace means undeserving favor. There is no good in us. As we sang, chosen not for good in me. Grace. It was like that in Jeremiah's day. It is like that in our day. It was like that in the New Testament. Think of those that Jesus Christ chose to be his disciples. They were a group of fishermen. And even those who were not fishermen were tax collectors. And when he chose the greatest apostle to take the gospel to the Gentiles, he was a persecutor of the church. Those are the unlikeliest of candidates. And this is what shines in their calling. The grace, the mercy of God. And there's hope for you and me. Listen to Paul trying to explain it theologically writing to the Corinthians. You know, the Corinthians, they were a bit like people today. They lived in an immoral society. Who would have thought that there would have been a church in Corinth? And Paul gives the answer, you see, you were calling. Not many wise, according to the flesh. Not many mighty, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world. I could go on, but time is going. This is what one commentator said. God is not limited by human weakness. In fact, enabling weak tools to be strong is God's standard operating procedure. 
His entire workforce is comprised of dubious candidates. <laughs> Do you feel dubious? Then here is the call for you. Do you know what? Jeremiah's name means God throws. What does that mean? It means this. God tears down, not for the sake of destroying, but for the sake of building again. Think of those great skyscrapers in Manhattan. They have been built so high because they dug first so low. This is what God says to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, it's grace. Verse 10, see I have this day set you over, not just Israel, but over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down. Why? In order to build and to plant. Jeremiah, he's saying, that's my grace. My grace convicts you of your sin, causing you to feel utterly wretched. And then my grace comes to you and builds you because I have found a way to reconcile sinners to myself. You know, Jeremiah is the message as well as prophesies the message. God throws, tears to build. A greater than Jeremiah said something similar. Jesus Christ, he said, destroy this temple. He wasn't talking about the building. He was talking about his body, Jesus Christ, the God-man. That's what Jeremiah is looking forward to. That's the gospel. God came into this world 2,000 years ago as a man. The dwelling place of God is the temple. Nowhere has God dwelt more fully than in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, destroy this temple in three days, I will rebuild it. What he's saying? Ah, he's saying the same thing as God is saying through Jeremiah chapter 1. The grace of God brings down in order to build up. That's what Jesus Christ did. He went down. How far did he go down? He went all the way down to the death of the cross. And it was by hanging on that cross he became a curse for Jeremiah's sin. That's why Jeremiah could be forgiven. That's why Isaiah could be forgiven. That's why the Apostle Paul could be forgiven. Simon Peter could be forgiven. You and I can be forgiven. Because on the cross, Jesus Christ descended into hell, as it were, bearing God's punishment for your sins and mine. And because he paid the debt to the full, God raised him from death, and he ever lives. He ever lives. And he lives to call by his spirits. Yes, the divine call in eternity, but that call becomes effective in time by the Spirit of Christ wooing us to come to him. And when we come to him, it's a bit like Jeremiah, isn't it? As Tony said in the notices, 
he brings us to the point. He pulls us down. He pulls down all our self-righteousness. And he brings us to the place where we have to say, Lord, I've got nothing. There's no hope apart from what I see in Jesus Christ. And the moment we say that, in effect, and cast ourselves on Jesus Christ, the greater than Jeremiah, it is then we are saved and forgiven. And the life of God comes into our hearts. Uh, what did we sing in that third hymn? Isn't it a grand hymn? Chosen not for good in me, wakened up from wrath to flee, hidden in the Saviour's side, by the Spirit sanctified. Teach me, Lord, on earth to show, by my love, how much I owe. When I was first saved, we learned this little chorus. I know we're not into singing choruses, but this chorus has stuck with me because everything was so fresh. And it says this, I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. No more in condemnation. Here in the grace of God I stand. A gracious call. My heart is overflowing. My love just keeps on growing. Here in the grace of God I stand. Aren't you thrilled this morning that this call of the gospel isn't just a divine call, but a gracious call? And very, very quickly... Because we're COVID aware, we've got to be respectful of the time limits. This is an effectual, an effectual call. You know, God doesn't just call us in eternity and then in time that grace comes to us and we're in Christ, new creations, no longer condemned. But that call keeps us through this life. And when we die, it carries on into eternity. God has called us in love in eternity past. And he keeps us through time. And his love is going to carry on into eternity future. I have loved you with an everlasting love. This is what God encourages Jeremiah with. Verse 8, do not be afraid of their faces for I am with you, Lord. I am with you. That's what you've said. Uh, I don't know what you were afraid of. Uh, you're a Christian. You've got to go through this wilderness of a world using Bunyan's imagination. There are hobgoblins and foul fiends. Those are monsters. There'll be different things for different one of us. Don't be afraid of their faces because even though you are weak, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God is with you. Specifically, Jesus Christ is with you. Not physically, but by his Holy Spirit. Verses 18 and 19. I love these words. For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city and an iron pillar and bronze walls. I am with you, says the Lord. Divine protection. What do we need in these times of upheaval? We need iron, don't we, in our souls? 
That's what Jesus Christ can give. It doesn't matter who you are. You may feel like a wimp, but the Spirit of Christ can put iron in you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We sang John Bunyan's hymn. John Bunyan was a Puritan. Now, they've had a bad press, the Puritans. They were not killjoys, right? They were people who knew God. And that intimate knowledge of God affected their whole lives. And one description of a Puritan is what we need today. It describes the Puritan as a man foursquare, immovable at all times, so that they who have lost the view of true religion may return to him and there find it. Have you become disillusioned with Christianity? Have you lost the view of true religion? Oh, my friend, don't we need people like Jeremiah? Don't we need people like the Puritans? Something of God about them that will draw us back. And in a way, it's not the Jeremiahs and the Puritans that were to hero worship. It's the greater than them, Jesus Christ. Looking unto Jesus, looking unto him. No guilt in life. That's the Christian. No fear in death. It's not of you. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry. We can even take it further, can't we? To eternity. From life's first cry to final breath. We can take it further to eternity future. Jesus commands my destiny. Wonderful. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Can you say this? Here in the power of Christ, I stand, whoever you are. I first came across this quotation reading the Calvinistic Methodist Fathers. They were 18th, 19th century preachers in Wales. This quotation has also been attributed to a pastor who lived in Colombia during the time when Pablo Escobar was the drug lord, one of the most violent men to have ever lived. And this pastor, like the Calvinistic Methodist fathers, a bit like Jeremiah, would not budge an inch. The drug lords wanted him to compromise. He would not budge an inch. And do you know what he said? What the Calvinistic Methodist father said was this. I am invincible until my work on earth is complete. Christian, however pathetic you may feel, you are invincible until the time comes when he calls you home. I'll finish with Pilgrim's Progress. There's a character there called By-Ends who only wanted to follow Christ when things were going well. You know, a fair weather 
Christian. We never strive against wind and tide. We are always most zealous when religion goes in its silver slippers. We love much to walk with him in the streets if the sun shines and the people applaud. That person wouldn't have survived in Jeremiah's day, wouldn't survive today either. This is Christian's answer. If you will go with us, you must go against wind and tide. You must own religion in the You must own religion in its rags as well as in its silver slippers and stand by him when bound in irons as when he walks the streets with applause. May God make us real. The only reason why Jeremiah was a child of God. And why you and I can keep on keeping on is the call of God. Praise him for a divine, gracious, effectual call. We're going to sing now that hymn I quoted a verse from, In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my rock, my solid ground. So let's stand and don't sing out loud, but make a joyful noise in your hearts.
What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We just praise thee, Lord God, that it is only in Christ that our hope is found because of thy call. And we just praise thee for being our God and our protector. And now may that grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.